The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. I'm grateful for many freedoms we have in this country. I'm also the, for the freedom to have a sporting team. If you didn't watch the Royals game yesterday, you missed a doozy. And if you knew friends that left after the eighth inning, um, you can shame on them. That's right. So, uh, And if you're not sure what I'm talking about, you need to go watch your news because it was a great thing. And uh, if Rachel Andrews were here, I'd, I'd peg her a little bit. She's from Oklahoma City, and her Oklahoma City Thunder got trounced last night. So uh, it, uh, we'll, we'll leave that one be. Uh, hi, Rachel. Hi, Yes. <laughs> That's right. The freedom to worship and the freedom to kid. But in all seriousness, on another subject, we do have these great um, chaplaincy cards out on the walk, in the Welcome Center. Uh, we would encourage you to take one of these. This is a Southern Baptist chaplain that uh, our, our ties go to support. You can pray for these gentlemen. Uh, this chaplain's name is Mary, uh, Major Gary Poplin. There's about 50 cards out there. If you want to grab one of those and just pray over them as a church or as a family, that would be great. Uh, they're out on the Welcome Center tables over by the sign-up desk, and that would be wonderful. That'll be great. You got Psalm 117? All right. It's not Mother's Day, but here's a story about a husband and a wife. Are you ready? All right. Last time we picked on the husbands. This time we're going to pick on the husbands a little bit again, too. But this is a good story, and I think it's a true story from what I can tell. But it's a story about a woman who had a husband who kept a list. And this list contained 25 things, 25 things. Get that number in your head that he wanted her to do each day to, quote, unquote, be a good wife for him. Now, think about that for a second, ladies, and think about the word 25. Now, cooking every day, check. Clean the laundry, check. Clean the bathrooms, check. And all these things. And at the end of one particular day, uh, this lady had done all 25 for some time, but she had slacked off, and she'd only gotten 23 of the 25 done. And the woman was miserable because this husband let her have it. She was miserable because she didn't want to be married to a checklist. And this man went off and said, you only did 23 of 25. Not that these things weren't important to her. They were. She wanted to be a good wife. She wanted to help in the ways that her husband wanted her to, but she had higher hopes for the relationship they were in. And after a number of years, unfortunately, the man passed away, and the woman felt the weight of this list gone from her life forever, the checklist gone. Because she had been doing every duty and hating every minute, even though those duties weren't bad at all and things that were, uh, I guess, necessary to keep the house running. But two years later, wouldn't you know that God had someone else for her? And she fell in love with a new guy and a guy who had no list. He had zero on his list. He told her when he met her, and they knew this was going to be more than just a casual relationship of friends or whatever it is. He told her that he wanted just to love her. Yes, he had expectations for her, but in the middle of the day, he wanted her to know that he loved her. In the morning when she woke up, he wanted her to know that he truly loved her. And at night before they retired, he wanted to reassure her again that he loved her very, very much. And when you know one day when she was cleaning for now her second husband after her first had passed, she opened a drawer and she saw a piece of paper. And guess what that piece of paper was? It was that checklist. 
all 23 of 25 on that one particular day that she had forgotten. And she began to giggle when she realized how everything was written down uh, and everything she was doing now to perfection that her first husband would have gotten mad at, she was doing effortlessly now. What was the difference? The difference was she hated doing out of requirement by the first husband, first husband. But for the second husband, she was doing it all out of love because, yes, she had expectations from her husband, but it was founded on the foundation of what? Of love. And all the second husband wanted her to know was that very thing. And it brought joy to her and her home that all she did, she was overpowered by love. You know what she did with that list? She took it and tore it in 25 pieces and threw it in the, the fire, and she burned it. And that's how she remembered it. Why do I bring up this story over Memorial Day weekend? Well, it has no connection to that, but I think as we've studied worship, I, I read this story. And it's, it's based on a true story from what I can tell. The story reminds me how easily as Christians we can forget the foundation of love that Christ has called us to. If you caught that connection, we offer often major in the minors, so to speak, when God calls us to major in all things, yes, but not forget the most important things. And how easily as Christians we do that, isn't it? As we've been going through the study of worship, we've noted that we've so often missed the very call to worship and what worship really is. Just like that first husband who probably out of love with his checklist thought, if my wife just does these things, then she's going to be, as that sign says up there on the screen, in the good wives club. Wives, I don't know if your husband has a checklist of 25 or 5 or, or whatever it is, but I pray it's undergirded by love. Or some of you may be a thousand. I, I don't know what it is. But you know, in his classic work, John Piper, who has influenced many in this room, noted this about worship and how often we miss the boat, almost like this husband missed the boat and this wife had missed the boat initially. He said this about worship. He said, missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate and not man. How often as we come to church, as we do many great things in the name of Christ, that we miss sometimes the very things, foundational things God calls us to. And let's be reminded from Revelation chapter 5, verse 9, the Bible says that they sang a new song. Worthy are you to take the scroll and open the seals. For you were slain, and by your blood, your ransomed people for God from every tribe, every language, every people, and every nation. Isn't that going to be an awesome day someday? When we worship with every tribe and every nation. Even nations right now where in, in Iraq as they're fighting in Fallujah trying to retake an ISIS-controlled city where, where God of the Bible is not upheld. Isn't it going to be awesome, church, that day when we can see all these people come together? That's what worship is all about. Worship is about spreading the fame of God and worshiping Him properly. And I have a confession to make to you today as we close out this study. I have missed the boat on a small thing. Andy, Nisley, I stand corrected on this. We're in Psalm 117 today. A couple weeks ago, we studied what I said was the shortest chapter of the Bible. I stand corrected. This is the shortest chapter of the Bible. Even pastors can miss those things. But do you want to know what the, the, the main purpose of this whole chapter, this whole sermon, is this one truth. How do we worship God in a way that honors Him and brings about mission? We do it this way. We remember the big idea that we are chosen by God before the world and called out of the world to go back into the world in order that we might reach people to bring Him praise. That's what we're here to do. That's why we share the gospel. Not just to get someone out of hell, though that is a goal. The goal is that God might receive the praise that He is due. 
And for a church that is weak in missions is weak in worship. You know, a lot of churches get so wrapped up in their worship service. We've talked about this, right? Where they spend thousands, sometimes millions of dollars on sets and things that really lead to nothing but an experience, and they walk out the door and not not much has changed. But every Christian must be involved in missions because that is the call how God is worshipped. You know, in this little psalm that we're going to study, Psalm 117, do you, this is what Spurgeon said about that great dead Baptist preacher. He said, it is exceedingly small but large in spirit. It's bursting all bounds of race or nationality, and it calls all mankind to praise the name of the Lord. Martin Luther, not Martin Luther King Jr., but the reformer Martin Luther, wrote 36 pages of commentary on two verses, and he preached five sermons on this one text. So I don't know what your plans are the next four weeks, folks, but I think we have our marching orders, right? So what is this God of the nations? Why must God be worshipped as such? Psalm 117 tells us God is the God of the nations. We're going to look at two things today right out of the text. If we believe that worship is the ultimate end of this world, the gospel, then God will be praised among the nations, number one. And secondly, we'll see that God will be praised because of who he is. That is the God that we worship. And this is the shortest chapter in the Bible. I've told people all morning, if you want to impress your friends when you go home, tell them you can memorize this chapter. It's two verses, and you can go and say, folks, I've memorized a chapter of the Bible. And it is the shortest chapter, and it is right smack dab in the middle of the Bible. So you have read a chapter today, you've memorized a chapter, and you're going you're gonna to get a lot of reading in today. Amen? And that's how it is. Let's stand up this morning if you're able to stand for the reading of God's Word. And we will go through this last study of what the worship of God is, the God of the nations, not missing the very foundational things that we have as Christians here today. Two verses out of the ESV. It says, Praise the Lord, all nations, extol him, all peoples. For great is his steadfast love towards us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. Let's go before the Lord in prayer today. Father, we are grateful that you have allowed us to be, as a church, a beacon of light to the nations. Father, we pray for internationally for our missionaries, as we often do. I think of Luke right now, Luke Weir, uh, as he uh, recently engaged Luke Weir. We pray for that relationship and his work among the uh, secular youth culture of Europe through music. Father, we pray for Thomas Adelke in Nigeria. We think of so many others that we pray for and support through our church and our, our denomination. Father, you are a God of the nations. May we not miss that worship is really the ultimate goal of all things. But, Father, through that comes missions, comes all the things that we do. Father, as we study that today, may you be honored and glorified, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. may be seated. Thank you, guys. So Psalm 117, Psalm 117, very short psalm, very, very short psalm. And we are told in verse 1 here what we are to do and why we are to do it. This is a verse that is often a parallelism in Hebrew. We've talked about this before, where they say one thing here, and then they turn around and say the same thing in another way. Parents or grandparents, you may remember this with your kids. You tell them this one way, and it doesn't sink in. Hey, take out the trash. And then your voice kind of escalates a little bit, and you get to that point where you say, hey, take out the trash. You get the point of what they're trying to say. Although some kids, that doesn't help. You have to drag them by their ears, and that's a whole other lesson in another sermon. And you know that's the truth. But Psalm 117 is an invitation for the people of all nations to come and worship God. This is a forecast of what is to come on the last day forever. This is also a forecast of our job as Christians, because there is no God like our God. 
God is an amazing God. There's no one like him. The Asherah poles of the Old Testament, Baal, uh, uh, Molech, you name the Old Testament God, they are no more. The God of the Bible stands or falls by who he is and what he has done. And, and what we will see here in this short text is that God desires that all nations come through him. Look back at verse 1. He says, the psalmist here, Praise the Lord, all nations, and extol him, all peoples. God desires that all nations praise him. That's why, friends, as we pray and as we have so much freedom in this nation to drop the Bible and still let God be God, as we have freedom in this nation to know that God is God, think about the responsibility that we have. We have such a freedom in this nation to make God known. We have freedom to walk up to the cashier at the, at the grocery store and say, hey, do you know about Jesus Christ? I, I freaked out one of my uh, uh, pastor friends on Friday. We were walking around at a part of Kansas City, and he was there too. And I went up to him and said, hey, do you know Jesus? And he got red in the face. It was actually kind of funny. And we were talking, he said, you know, how often do we not do that except to one another? And what this psalm tells us is, is that God will be praised among the nations. We have that opportunity. And this reminds us that praise is not a choice, that it's not a feeling. We are not to praise the Lord only when we feel a warm, fuzzy inside or feel warm. We are to praise Him even in our most troubled moments. Friends, we live in a nation right now of troubled moments, don't we? We live in a nation that, uh, to be quite frank, looks more like a circus in its election year than any time past when God has been ruled as God above. I don't have to tell you that. You know that. But what comes is an unexpected surprise here in this text. He does not just say that God is the God of Israel. The psalmist says that God is the God of all nations. The world has to know who this God is. The, Greek, or the Hebrew word here is the word goyim. If you want to use that big word, it means the nations. It doesn't refer to a political state or a certain nation, but different ethnic and lingu- linguistic groups. There's a great website out there for you web techie people called the Joshua Project, and it lists, get this number right, 16,320 different people groups in this world. And only 7,000 of those know the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's crazy. There are people who are literally worshiping whatever they want to worship in this world without any knowledge of who God is. That means 41.3% of this world has no clue about the God of the Bible that we worship. Isn't that crazy? That is absolutely crazy. That's why before we move on, can I just encourage you just to continue to pray for our nation, for our world, for people of this world to come to know Jesus Christ. Because at this moment, there are 400 language groups, 4,100 language groups that have the Bible translated in their language, but there are over 2,400 that do not. Friends, there's one thing I'm grateful about our country is that we can freely proclaim this. There may come a day when that may not be true. There may come a day when this is considered to be, um, quite frankly, anti-governmental, and it is in some extents. Let's be very honest. We live in a country today that does not extol the God of the Bible, do we? We live in a country today that does not extol the very God of who we have today. And so, Christians, can I just encourage you this morning, as often as you can, as we talked about last week, come to church, be involved, show forth your witness by congregating together. You know, God may call you to a different church at, at any time of your life, that's fine. But Jesus said in Luke 19, 40, he said, I tell you, if these rocks were silent, even, or if these were silent, the very stones will cry out. You see, Christ is more committed to being praised than keeping rocks rocks. He says, look, if my people will not praise me, I will raise up the very rocks of this earth to praise God. 
Everything in this world screams, God is God. There is no other. He will be praised among the nations. Would you pray for your neighborhood this weekend as you rejoice and celebrate? How many having cookouts tomorrow? A lot of cookouts? Anybody? One hand, Doug, we're coming to your house because you're the only one cooking out, apparently. But you know what? As you celebrate, in whatever way you celebrate this weekend, and remember what God has done, would you pray? Take a moment to pray, God, win this neighborhood back. Win this block back. You know, one thing we've been trying to do in our neighborhood, and please don't think we're perfect in this. I signed up for the, uh, the Homeowners Association. If you've ever been on one of those boards, you know it's like herding cats at times. It really is. And it's hard. But we want to be involved in our, our area because that is a way that we can win people to Christ. Friends, would you pray for your area, wherever you are, to come to know Christ, that Christ would be praised at 52nd and whatever else connects to that. But wherever you're at, that your intersection would know Jesus Christ, that he would be praised among the nations. Why is he going to be praised among the nations? Look back at verse 1. He says, God desires not only that praise the nations praise him, but they extol him. You may have a different word there, but it says in the ESV, extol him all peoples. It literally means, like most of us were this morning, walking around saying, hey, did you see that Royals game? They were down 7-1, to one and they came back and scored seven runs in the top of the, or bottom of the ninth inning. Oh, my goodness, that's the best. Jeff Jones told me it was the best comeback in the bottom of the ninth ever that has been made. That's amazing. I'm wearing my royal blue today. I'm wearing my royal blue and my American blue, too, but it's, here we are. And how easily we, we boast about that, don't we? We're so proud of our, our royals who've lost Moose and lost Gordon and lost all these guys, but they keep finding a way to win. Isn't that amazing? But how much more does this psalmist say, extol him all peoples, literally, taking that same pride and saying, look, I love my baseball team, I love whatever it is, but I'm going to take this God, and do we still do this? We raise the roof with him? Yeah, that's right. Thank you, Sandy. Isn't that what it's all about? Is that wherever you are, that you would extol the Christ of your God. That when you have your cookouts, that you know what? Thank the Lord for those who gave their lives. Amen for that. But thank also the Lord that he gave his son that we would have eternal life. That's what extolling means. The psalmist says, look, I want God to be praised among the nations, but I want him on every block, every home, every business, every school, every sidewalk. I want this world to know this God. That is the prayer that he has here. That's what worship is all about. That there's not one square inch of any place, of any time, anywhere, that God is not praised. And friends, that is the second thing you saw up there, is that there is no neighborhood unreached because God has placed you there. God has placed you there. For some of you, that is harder than others. Some of you have been placed in harder areas than others to reach the people of Jesus Christ. It is hard. It is very, very hard. But whether they're a mile or 10,000 miles away, there is one God to be worshipped, and that is the God that we serve. That is the God that we serve. So what does this mean for us? Well, I think, first off, let me remind you this morning, and this is not on the screen, but we have an exclusive gospel, guys. We do not have a gospel that is anything but Jesus Christ alone. I want you to notice that. He does not say in the psalm to worship is anything but believing that God is the one and only God. Let's be clear again. Do we worship the same God as the Muslims, church? No. Do we worship the same God as the Hindus? No. We worship the one God who is forever in Christ. That is who he is. That is the exclusivity of that. He comes and says, look, it's not just worship whoever you want. It's worship the one true God. 
But as Baptists, we balance this the other way. As Baptists, we believe in a thing called religious liberty. I don't know if you know that or not. We believe, and this country was founded. You can check Rhode Island history for that. Those old dead guys that I like to study, you know those. Those old dead guys believe that everyone has an equal chance to believe whatever they believe. That is true. We fully support that. But at the end of the day, we also know this truth, is that for God to be praised as he's to be praised, there can only be one way to heaven. And oh boy, that's going to get you in trouble, isn't it? That is really going to get you in trouble. There is one way to heaven. There's not many paths to heaven. There's not many roads that lead up the same mountain. We don't all start at the same path and you go the highway, I swim, and someone climbs a mountain and somehow we all get to the same place. Friends, it is through the cross or it is through nothing. Amen? That is it. That is the only way God can be praised. That's why when we do missions projects around here. That's why it's not just a good work that we do. It's because Christ gave his life for us. I think there's a great story to illustrate this very fact. You've seen the the photo up here of a little girl and her her mother. And this little girl treated her mother badly. She was only five or six, preschool, kindergarten age, because her mom had this big, ugly scar across her face. It's ugly. It's terrible looking. And the little girl would never invite any of her little friends over to be any part of her life except when they went to their house or at school, anywhere but being around mom. Well, moms are intuitive like this stuff, aren't they? And moms know something's not right. And she finally asked her daughter, she said, honey, why don't you ever bring your friends around? What, why don't you invite them? And with the innocence but the straightforwardness as only a kid can do, she said this. She said, mom, it's a scar on your face. I can't bear to introduce you to others. Like any mom would, she sat her daughter down. And she said, honey, I want to tell you something. I never told you this before, but when one day when I went to draw water out back when you were a little girl, I looked up from the well and I noticed that the house was on fire. You were asleep in your bed and I rushed back in and dropped my water, came and grabbed you and took you out of the crib. And one of the neighbors had run over at this time and I was able to somehow with my strength throw you to him, and he caught you and ran out. And But right as the fire was getting ready to engulf you, he took you out safely, but a beam fell down and knocked me down. And that wood stood up against my face, and it seared my face and put the scar right there. But I was able to throw you to safety, honey. And she went on to say, I just wanted to let you know, the next time you don't want your friends around, the only reason I have the scar on my face is because I was saving your life. Not an awesome story. Friends, Jesus has some scars on his hands, doesn't he? Jesus has some scars on his feet. Jesus has some scars on his side. And let me tell you how he got those scars. We need to be reminded why God is only to be worshipped today. He got those scars when you and I were on our way to hell. He got those scars when you and I said, I want nothing to do with you, God. Get out of here. I'm going to be a rebel. I'm a rebel rouser, and I'm proud of it. And when Jesus looked down and he didn't want us to suffer. He sent forth Christ, the providential plan of God, and, and Christ said, I will go. And Christ stretched out his arms. He died for us. He took the spear. His hands were, were, were nailed. His feet were nailed. And he did that for us. What a reminder it is, as we talk about God being praised among the nations, worshiped among the nations, that when we don't want to tell others about him, like that little girl didn't want to invite, that we remember what he did for us. We remember that when we don't want to be a disciple, we remember how he got those scars. That when we don't want to be proclaiming Christ in a nation like this, that we remember what he did for us on the cross. Amen? And that is what Christ did. 
Friend, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, I'm so glad you're here today. He gave his life for you. There is no other hope but him. He loves you so much that you would come to him. Friends, what a great responsibility that has been given to us. Say, Darren, I'm not an international missionary. I'm not Luke Weir. I'm not Thomas Adelke. Do you realize that the nations have come to this world right where we live? The northeast side has over 100. We're, uh, Sandy, you and I were just talking about you're sliding down things in northeast side. Northeast side has over 100 language groups right now. Our neighborhood right now is inundated with folks from all nations. Would you pray that they come to know Christ and say, Lord, how can I be a part of that plan that they can worship you as they ought through the gospel of Christ? That's point number one. Let's go on to verse number two. Look at your Bible. We praise God because he's praised among the nations. Secondly, we praise God because the Lord is to be magnified because of his nature. Look at verse 2. For great is his steadfast love towards us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. What can we say about this God? If God's good, would you say amen? Amen. God is exceedingly good. No wonder there's a reason to praise him. God is so good. I mean, think about all the blessings that we have. We're friends of the zoo now and our family. We're excited. Our kids love the penguins. They love all that stuff. Our, what a great blessing that is. What a blessing. How, if you have reliable transportation, uh, Blake, I'm going to pick up, wherever Blake is, I'm going to pick on him for a minute. You know, uh, you guys remember that movie, Harry and the Hendersons? Do you remember that movie? Blake has a Harry and the Hendersons truck after his car broke down. God provides. God is so good to us. God has provided meals for us. God has given us everything, but most of all, salvation in God through Christ. What an awesome God He is. If you have health today, God has provided that for you. If you have anything today, God is so good to us. Friends, that's why, first off, He says our God is a God of love. Your Bible may say that our God is a God of merciful kindness. That's the New King James, or love, the NIV. New American Standard says loving kindness. The New Living says unfailing love. The Holman Standard says faithful love. The point of it is, is that God's goodness is such among the nations that he is to be praised because he is a God of love. If you're here today and you have forgotten that God loves you, please be reminded of that today. Sometimes we have this disciplinary version of who God is and we forget that God is also a God of love. He is. Friend, he loves you today. Christian, you are more loved in Christ than you will ever be by any man or woman who promises it and breaks that commitment time and time again. Husbands, you will never love your wife as much as Christ has loved them. Wives, you will never love your husbands as much as Christ has loved them completely in the plan of salvation. His love is so good. That's why we can praise him for who he is. That's why, that's why you know, at every marital counseling session you give as a pastor, you have to remind husbands that we are to lay down our lives as Christ loved the church. Now, how in the world do you do that? That's pretty hard to do. Guys, I don't know about you, but the last time I checked, I'm not Jesus. Uh, that's good, because I, I can't grow a beard like, like Dave has the cool beard every week. Blake has the beard. I can't do that. And if Jesus had a beard, I'm sure he did. But I can't do that. How do I do that? I do that because the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of me. And the Holy Spirit of God tells me that I am not sufficient in myself, but by his strength, I can do all things through Christ to his glory. Husbands, if you are remembering that God is a God of love, sometimes that means that your wife isn't perfect. Wives, I don't have to remind you that your husbands aren't perfect. Amen? I don't. Kids, this means your parents aren't perfect either. Youth, 
This means your parents are going to fail at things that you may not fail at, but they fail at. And guess what? They're still your parents. Love them. Why is God to be praised among the nations? Because God is a God of love. God is a God of love that he loves people of every nation, every tongue, every kindred, every background, every whatever it is. If you grew up in a Christian home, God still loves you. If you grew up in a home where your dad was an alcoholic, your mom was a druggie, and and, and somewhere in between there you got out alive, praise God for that, but God still loves you. Does that mean he doesn't take sin seriously? Oh, no, you know that's not true. But remember today, Christian, that God is a God of love. Remember that today. Love is not God, but God is love. So he says, praise him for great is his steadfast love towards us. Steadfast love. Not love that is dependent upon your ability to bring anything to the table. It is his love and his love alone that saved us. We love because he first loved us. And what a great truth that is. Because guys, we would never have loved God except through Jesus Christ. We never would have. And that's the amazing thing that's been given to us. We have to remind people of that. It's not just you have everything good in your life and now all of a sudden let's add Jesus to the mix. No, it is Christ that you need. As you share the gospel, remember, don't just say, well, you're a good, decent person. Why don't you just give Jesus another try? Friends, if they don't throw all they are on Jesus, they don't have the true Jesus of the Bible. That's why so many gospel presentations fall flat on their face and so many tracks fall flat because we forget God's love is steadfast on us. What are we doing with that love? We're like over here. I've used this illustration so many times in so many years. It's like that dog from the movie Up. If you know the movie Up, and and the dog is like walking along, and he goes, squirrel. He he can't keep focus on anything. He's walking along. How many of you all seen that movie Up? You know? He walks along, and he says, squirrel, 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 squirrel. That's our love to God. God's love is focused, man. It's focused. Because his love is steadfast. Why do we praise him? Because we have a gospel that enables us to love a world that hates us. What an awesome thing that is. When the world says, get out of here, Christian. When the world says, I don't want your junk and I want your prayers. We have a gospel that says, my Savior died for me. And I'm going to love you even when it hurts. Literally, physically, emotionally, spiritually. All those things. Why do we love other people? It's not just to love them. We love them because God's love has never changed off us. That is the amazing God that we serve. That is the amazing, awesome God. He's a God of love. But also notice, secondly, in the verses, we close this out. He says, and praise him for his steadfast love towards us and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. The faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. I'm just going to be honest with you. Uh, I have a friend here, Craig Johnson, uh, visiting from Colorado. Craig used to always say, Darren, you're one of the most disciplined people I know. And then I had kids and I'm realizing that's not so true anymore. Because you know what? Once you have kids and you have to stay up late and get up early, you don't want to get up early anymore. Am I, am I the only one that knows this anymore? No. Thank you, Tina, for affirming that. You know, my faithful, I used to be able to get up at the crack of, before the crack of dawn, run 13 miles, write a devotion, send it out to people, go study at Sim. I mean, all these things. If it's 6 o'clock and I'm barely rolling out of bed, that's a thank the Lord. Praise, praise God, I'm at bed at 6 o'clock. Am I the only one that struggles with this? It really is. I feel like I used to be the most disciplined person, and I'd watch what I eat. You know, I could eat 35 pieces of pizza at CC's, go run 13 miles, and it wouldn't add any weight. Now I eat 13 pieces, and I feel like I've gained 13 pounds. That's kind of how it is. But I am so great that God's love is not changing, and His faithfulness especially is not changing. Aren't you? 
He's a faithful God. His love is great. His faithfulness is everlasting. The root meaning here is to be firm. It means unshakable. It's something that you can't move. It's something that's planted down. It's the basis for our English word, amen. When you say the word amen, you are basically saying, my God is firm. He's not moving. Whatever I say amen to, I am agreeing that God is not going to let move. That's why the story of the Bible is about a faithful God who doesn't forget and a stubborn people, the biggest one right here, who does or who do. What God has promised for us, though, in Christ, even though we are stubborn people, is so much more than we can ever imagine. God's character can't change. His promises don't change. And he can never have a broken relationship. Friends, that's why if you're not a Christian here today, you need to know the only God who will forever save you is the God of the Bible. That's why he can be praised among the nations. That's why the psalmist can say, look, wherever you are, praise the Lord, because he has great love and he's not going to change on you. Some of you need to realize that today as you look around at this nation. As we look at a a landscape that in the next five, six months, as we enter November, as the attack ads come and you know they're coming, you know, if you don't have, if you want to put up your TV, this might be a good time to put it up. Seriously. You know those things are coming, but friend, if you're not a Christian today, can I just tell you how great and awesome our God is? He's so faithful. When someone says, if you vote for me, I'll do this. Oh yeah? Where was that? Whenever that was. Or if you do this for me, God says, look, I don't need any votes. I'm the only one that can give you the the right to vote. I'm the only one that has given you the freedom to do that. There's no voting him out of heaven. There's no voting him in heaven. He is God. He's God alone. And that is why that we can say we must know him. That's why we can praise him among the nations, guys. That's why our church prays for those nations. You know, I think John Piper said it best. He says, missions exist again because worship doesn't. Would you pray that this world knows that when the God of Islam tells them that they have to be a good enough Muslim to get to heaven, and if he's having an off day, they're going the opposite way, that the God of the Bible is a God who's faithful. That when he saves you, he doesn't let you go. That when he brings you unto him, he doesn't say, get out of here, you filthy wretch. Because he looks at you, he sees your son, his son, Jesus Christ. Christian today, be reminded of how faithful our God is when we are unfaithful to him. My wife is in the nursery today, so I feel like I can, gi- I can give this analogy, okay? So don't tell her. Amen? All right. Some of you aren't so sure, but this here it comes. You know, about six years ago when we got married, Natalie loves to dance. I cannot dance to save my, my, my socks. I cannot. I'm like a stone. I'm a Baptist pastor, okay? That's probably most of the problem. It really is. And I cannot dance. But, but because I love my wife, in our first few months of marriage, I said, let's go to Overland Park. They have a free dance class. And it was, uh, it was uh, ballroom dancing. How many of y'all have ever ballroom danced before? Uh, who's brave enough to say they've ballroom danced before? Some of you are not so sure about this. But, you know, it's, it's the man is supposed to lead the dancing. I can't, you know, I've told you before, when they clap on two, I'm on three, and, and so on and so forth. Translate that to dancing, okay? I'm supposed to be leading my wife in ballroom dancing. Like this guy, you know, I'm walking around, I'm like, you know. I watched Dancing with the Stars to prepare. I was ready. I really was. I was doing everything I could. I was going to do everything I could. Watch YouTube self-help videos. I was ready. And you know what? This job, this, this guy came up to me and said, you're a terrible leader. I said, thanks. Appreciate that. And he reminded me, this ballroom dancer instructor, he said, the job of the man is to know what he's doing and 
the, the woman is to follow his lead, right? If you're a ballroom dancer, nice guy, ladies, all you do, I guess, is just glide along like Cinderella in the play or whatever it is. The man's job is to watch the floor, to see where the other dancers are, and here I am just looking at my feet, trying not to step on my own feet, and you know how this is. But, you know, if it's all done right, it looks beautiful. Some of you have seen those dancers before where they just, it's like effortlessly going from one side to the next, and it's back and forth, and, you know, she puts her hand in his hand, and she puts her arm on his shoulder, and he sets the pace, and they kind of glide, and don't worry, unless you're me and you, like, bump into other couples, which happened all the time. We went home embarrassed. That's the end of the story. So Natalie looked great. I looked terrible. So there's your analogy. You can tell her. She'll love it. And if you want to teach me how to ballroom dance, please sign up. I'll be happy to take those lessons. But please make them free because we'll be there forever. You'll be a millionaire. I'll be broke. So that's how bad it'll be. But, you know, the man in that ballroom dancing has to keep his eyes open. He really does. He's got to make sure he doesn't step on her feet. She just has to move in line with him. And friends, as I was thinking about God's faithfulness, that picture came to my mind about who God is. Jesus wants us to know that he's willing to do the work like that man leading in ballroom dancing. That's why he's to be praised. He's willing to take the lead. He's willing to guide. He's willing to take us wherever we need to go. But we have to be connected to him and we have to be willing to say, Lord, I don't know where you're going, but I'm just going to go along for the ride because I trust you by faith that you are strong enough to see me through this. See, Darren... You gave the analogy about you dance that exactly because God would never step on your toes. Oh, oh, yes, he will, but not in the way he leads you, he won't. He'll tell you, get over here, stranger, and come back this way. But unlike me leading my wife and trying to ballroom dance, our God does every step perfectly, and aren't you grateful for that? Friends, we have to re- remember that God is to be praised among the nations, and that is our goal as a church because he is so faithful. He will step on your toes, Christian. If you, have a, if you believe in a God that never steps on your toes and tells you when you're wrong, then you probably don't have the God of the Bible. Just going to be honest. Because guess what? You're going to be like me trying to lead Natalie, and you're going to step all over yourself, like falling and looking all weird. You know, I, I do think that if I went to a free-form dance class, I would do a lot better, because I can kind of do this, this little number, <laughs> but that's about all I do. But I'm, I am so grateful. I am so grateful that God is so good. He's so faithful. Church, this is why we can trust him. This is why in a crazy year, in a crazy time, in a crazy culture that really isn't that abnormal. The Bible told us these times are coming, guys. The Bible told us there will be a time coming when people will not want to honor the God as he is to be God. But this is a reminder to you today to pray for your government. Pray for those in leadership. Pray for your military. Pray for their wisdom. Pray for their discernment. Uh, Pray for all those things. And if they sent spies to watch on you, and we're not, we're not conspiracy theorists here, but if they were to send spies and watch your life, can I ask you that age-old question? Would there be enough evidence to convict you that you are a Christian by the way you live? Are you willing to let God be the leader of your life like that ballroom dancer is because he is faithful to you? Or do you get out of step with him because you want to do it your own way? Friends, if your faith never puts you in conflict with your political party, with your culture, or whatever it is, your faith is probably subservient to the culture itself. And I'm pointing five fingers back at myself. But if we want to make this God known, we have to remember that Christ and Christ alone is our anthem. But I am so grateful that we have every freedom here in this country to pick up the phone, to talk to our neighbor, to to go down the street to put a track, as we used to do in our old, uh, old dumb youth days, put a track on the toilet and hope they read it. You know, you've probably seen those. Praise God. 
put stuff them in the pop machines, you know, whatever you can do. That's what we used to do. But whatever it is, would you pray today, God, I want you to be praised among the nations. God, I want to see you extolled among the nations. What is it in my life that I can do where I'm at, where you've put me to do that? You'll be amazed at where God calls you to. Would you bow your head with me as we pray this morning? Father, you